Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Sometimes when we think about God and how awesome He is, it can be overwhelming. You think about the, what the words omniscient, that's a big word that means all-knowing. God is omniscient. He knows everything. How can that be? Because He's God. He, omniscience is defined by who God is. Omnipotence. He's all-powerful, right? He, he has all the power that, 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 that the universe could possess comes from Him and emanates from Him and, and, and originates with Him. And God is ever-present. He's, he's omnipresent, and so He is everywhere. And he, at, not just in space, but in time. There's not been a time when God has not been. And so the, the definition of eternal means that there is no beginning and there is no end. There, there, and our finite minds can't comprehend that. And so one of the challenges that, that sometimes man has in relating to God is how big God is. And how little we are. Anybody ever feel little over the last week? You think about the the size of the universe that exists. Think about the number of people that exist in the universe. And it's very easy for us to count ourselves as being just a speck on the radar. And not even a speck. And, And sometimes the challenge comes to us in this way. Or we may be tempted in this matter. Where when we read the Bible... We read it from an impersonal standpoint because we're reading it as the word that came from an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God who sees all and knows all and is all. We might see ourselves as a little speck on the radar of the Bible. So what I want to do today is try to encourage us with some passages we're going to look at today to try to put me into the Bible. Where can I find me in the Bible? And that's what I want to challenge. So you're going to see some blanks on your bulletin. If you turn your bulletin over to the back, you're going to see some blanks on there. They may be kind of small for for your handwriting and for your name. Do your best you can. I want to challenge you to write your name in those slots. And you don't have to go, you don't have to do it all right now. But as we go through this, we're going to see where I fit into the Bible. So I'm going to speak, I'm going to preach this lesson kind of from a first person, but it's going to be applicable to you too. Because what I want us to see is God gave us the word. He, he, he sent the word for all mankind, but in particular, he sent it for me. Now, when I say me, it doesn't mean me in exclusion to you, but he sent it to you. And he wants us to plug ourselves into the Bible and see how much he loves me. He loves you. He loves us as individuals. And so there's a, there's, there were... I mean, there are countless, countless passages that we could use to help us to understand this concept, but I've got a few picked out here that I think will help us to see how I fit into the Bible. Finding me in the Bible is our point today. And I want to begin back in Psalm chapter 139 with a passage that you're probably familiar with, but I want us just to remind ourselves that God made me. I was listening to a, a debate here a couple weeks ago. It was a, deba- a debate between an atheist and a gospel preacher. 
And the gospel preacher was making the point that one of the evidences of God is design. We see design in the world, and in particular, we just see design in a little baby. You see a little baby that's born, right? And it's, it just looks perfect. And you think, how could that all fit together? And you know what the atheist's answer was? God didn't design that baby. It just grew. Grew from what? From nothing? The point is, just because God created Adam and Eve in the, in the beginning doesn't mean that God doesn't have a role in making me. And so the first thing we learn from the Bible is God made me. God made you, and so you can write your name in that slot. Listen to Psalm chapter 139. Listen to what the psalmist here says about God's work in informing him. This is the author here that he's talking about. He's not talking about, he's not talking about mankind. He's talking about an individual. And he says this in Psalm chapter 139, beginning in verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Think about that. We can see pictures of little babies from the time they are they're simply one cell to when that cell divides to two, and those cells divide into four, and those cells divide into eight, and they continue, actually it's 16, I guess. I'm not doing my math right. It's, it's exponential growth that takes place here. But what we learn about growth is it happens by God's design. Have you ever thought about that? God was involved in your making. God was involved in your growth. You did these things. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Skip down to verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Now, we take it for granted that we can see these things. And so, you, you know, when a, when, a, when a lady is pregnant and she goes to the hospital or to the doctor's office and they get out the ultrasound, you know, and they get in there and they scan around, and you can see the little baby in there. You know, they didn't have ultrasound back in B.C.'s. <laughs> and so whenever the psalmist is writing this, he's not writing it from a perspective that he's been to the doctor before and he's seen an ultrasound and he knows what that looks like or that that would even exist. He's writing it from a perspective of knowing that God is powerful enough, He's omniscient enough, He's omnipresent to the point that He knows when I was formed, He was there. He saw it. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, as yet when as yet there were none of them. And I love that last part because what that tells me is God knew me before I was me. How can God do that? That's because God's not bounded by the God's not bounded by the, the constraints of time. He can see things that from our perspective happen in the future, but he sees them as though they are now. And he knows them. So God knew you before you were you. God had fashioned your days. Now let's be careful here. We're not saying that God predetermined your outcome. But God knew what your days would look like, and He, and He, in, a sense, in essence, by His own power, allowed them to happen. He fashioned them even before you were born. That's personal. 
That's you and me that we see taking place here. Go back to verse 16. And we, and we see that again. You form my, in, my uh, Your eyes saw my substance being yet informed. And then we see in verse 14 the praise aspect of this. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you see yourself in this passage? Can you echo the words of the psalmist whenever he personally was praising God because of his being? I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. First thing that we need to understand when we try to make the Bible personal is we need to understand that God had a part in us in making us. God has a hand in us being here. And if that's the case, if you plant a plant, do you have some interest in that plant surviving? I say, well, you know, I'm not a good, I'm not a good farmer. I'm not a good gardener, right? But still, most people want to water it. Most people don't plant a plant and then they just disregard it. Brian's been watering plants for how long now? Every day all summer. Because he has a vested interest in those plants surviving. You think we're worth more to God than plants? So we have a God has a vested interest in me. God made me. And God made me. Uh, God, God knows who I am. Let's move forward in the Bible then to Isaiah chapter 53. Because now we start getting into the personal aspects of God's plan of salvation. God made mankind upright but man sought out his own devices uh, the psalmist would say or the excuse me that uh, Solomon would say but over in Isaiah chapter 53 we learn something about God's plan to redeem man to himself in the sacrifice of a savior and if you've got a if you've got headers over your paragraphs you might say in your bible you might have something like this the suffering savior over uh chapter 53 or even go back into chapter 52 and verse 13 or mine says the sin bearing servant because Isaiah is going to prophesy about a man who's going to come who's going to bear the sins of all mankind and we know who that is because we can look back with 21st century eyes and we know who he's talking about here but I want you to notice here how we can read ourselves into this passage Isaiah is going to use the word our our is, is, is how you say it when you're outside of southwest Missouri, but I say our here. Right? He's going to tell us how we fit into what the Savior is going to suffer. And so as we read through this, I'm going to do something here that I want you to think in your mind. You don't have to say the words out, but I want you to put your name in the spot where we've got blanks in here. Look at verse, uh, let's start at verse 4. Surely he has borne Duffy's griefs, and carried his sorrows. Yet Duffy esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for Duffy's transgressions. He was bruised for Duffy's iniquities. The chastisement of Duffy's peace was upon him, and by his stripes Duffy is healed. This passage is about me. I don't know if you knew that. You probably didn't read that whenever you read it the first time, but that passage is about me. But it's also about you. Sometimes we, we tend to think R, right? R is a our. Let me say it the, the, the problem. Our is a is an inclusive term 
that sometimes takes a little burden off of me. Right? Because now I can, when I say our, your sins get lumped in there with mine. And that, that's, it's a little easier to comprehend when you think about all of our sins being spread out. But when you break it down to the personal stage and you realize that Jesus went to the cross because of what I did and am doing and even will do, that ought to get the hair up on the back of our necks. That ought to give us a little bit of pause. Because then we think about, well, why did he do it? And what was the purpose in doing it? You notice there, it, it talks about this chastisement for my peace was upon him. You know why Jesus went? So I didn't have to. He went there and died on the cross so I didn't have to bear that burden. And the physical, right? Okay, the scourgings. Jesus went through this, the physical aspects of it for me. That's, I, I get that. Jesus went through the emotional. I, I, I can kind of start to wrap my head around that. The mental, okay? What about the spiritual? You remember when we talked in the Lord's Supper about the fact that God turned His back. The Father had to turn His back on the Son because of the sin that was laid upon Him. Have you ever thought about God turning your back, His back on you and me? What that would feel like? What that would look like? I can tell you with 100% certainty, we have never lived a moment of our lives with God's back turned towards us. You know why I know that? Because we would know it if it happened. You remember God said, I send my rain on the just and on the unjust. What that means is God's face is always toward mankind. He may not like what we do, but He's going to continue to bless us in ways that are sustaining until the end of time. Until His plan is fulfilled, He's going to continue to sustain mankind. And so we've never lived a moment of our lives with God's back turned towards us. And so the chastisement that Jesus bore at the cross was something that God didn't God would have put on us if Jesus hadn't have done it. Notice what else he says here. Oh, we got to keep moving on. I'm going to run out of time. Uh, for the sake of time, we're going to go on down to Romans chapter 5. I want to see I want you to see another passage in which this idea of of our punishment or of our relationship with God being improved by what Jesus did. And I want to again make this personal. Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. Anybody have a heading over that, that section? What's it say? Christ in our place. If you're marking your Bibles, I would encourage you to write mark R out and put your name above that. So that when you read this, it reminds you that Jesus did this for me. For when Duffy was without strength in due time, Christ died for him. He died for me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards Duffy in that while he was still a sinner, Christ died for Duffy. Notice the words here that's used to describe me in relation to God. I was without strength. I was ungodly. I was still a sinner. Um, look at verse 10. 
For with, if when Duffy was enemies, he was reconciled to God through the death of, death of his son, much more having been reconciled, Duffy shall be saved by his life. I was an enemy to God. And when Jesus came, he took care of that situation. It helps us to put into perspective what our sin does. And it also helps us to put into perspective what Jesus did at the cross and how personal it is. I'll take you one more passage, one that you're familiar with. You may not even need to turn over there. We could probably say it together, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. We read world there, right? What's that mean? It means everybody, and that's true. Try plugging your name in there, though. For God so loved Duffy that he gave his only begotten son that if Duffy would believe him, he will have eternal life. And now we start getting into not just what God did in sending Christ to the cross, but we start getting into what Duffy's response is to that message. It'd be one thing if we were just reading this story for the interest, right? It'd be one thing if we were reading this like we would, well, like we would read... Uh, um, trying to think of a book that we've read recently. We, we've been reading uh, Where the Red Fern Grows, right? It's a great story. But you know, there's no, there's no point to that story except just the entertainment. When we read the gospel message, there's a, there's a, we have to do something with it. There's a choice that has to be made. And so when we read John 3.16, it leads us into the response that Duffy has to make to that gospel. And so we see then the next, the next bullet point is that the gospel is for us. The gospel is for me. Luke chapter 24. Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. And he, he's, got his, he's got his disciples gathered together. And he's going to give them a commission. He's going to give them a charge. He's going to give them some instructions. And what he wants them to do is he wants them to take a message out and he wants them to share it. Share it one at a time. Share it in mass, mass uh, production. Whatever it takes to get it out to him. But here's the message. He says in Luke chapter 24, beginning verse 46, he says, Thus it is written, thus it was necessary. That means that what he's about to tell them had been prophesied, it had been written about in the Old Testament, but it had also been by the plan of God. It was necessary that it happened. Thus it is written, thus it was necessary that the Christ suffer and rise from the dead the third day. We pause right there and we think about that. That's the message of the gospel, right? The death, he doesn't mention the burial, but you can't have a resurrection without a burial. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was necessary. It was prophesied. And here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to go out and I want you to preach repentance and remission of sins to Duffy. That's not what he says there, is it? He says you go preach it to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. But you know what he's in essence saying? He says, I want you to take that message and I want you to preach it to me in 2019 in Bradleyville. That's the extent to which the gospel message is to be taken. As he continued to visit with his disciples, he would say this over in Mark chapter 16. He says, I want you to take that gospel and I want you to preach it to every creature, including Duffy. And you can put your name in there. The gospel is for everybody. But it's personally, it's for me. 
And then he talks about what my response is supposed to be. Not only do I have to hear the gospel, but he says Duffy's got to believe it. Right? Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He who believes, if Duffy will believe, there's going to be a result from that. And so we think about belief. You know, Dustin sang an interesting song here recently. We don't think about this song being the faith song, but I really wish it was titled that in our books, The Faith Song. You remember what it was? Trust and obey. That's what the word faith means. If you look up the Greek word pistuo, it means a, a conviction and a personal surrender and action that aligns itself with that conviction. And so uh, we got Jake a new car. And here after a while, he's going to take off in that new car. He's going to go back to, uh, to Harding. And we're going to find out how, how great our faith is in that car when we send him out the driveway. Right? I may believe that it's a good car, but if my conviction and my action don't line up with it, you know what's going to happen? That car's going to stay at the house and he's going to go in the Camry. That's a very practical example of what faith looks like, right? But my faith in God is not that much different from that. I believe God exists, but do my actions follow after? That's what trust and obey means, right? If we walk in the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still. And so, what God calls me to is to trust and obey. So He says there in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, He says, He who believes, if Duffy will believe and is baptized, Duffy will be saved. We go back to Luke and he says that he was that, that they were to preach to me repentance and remission of sins. And so I understand I gotta believe. I gotta repent. I gotta turn away from my sin. I've got to be baptized. When I'm baptized, that remission of sins is applied to me. God's uh, God wipes away my sin through the shedding of Jesus' blood. Acts chapter twenty two, verse sixteen. That's for me. And it's for you as well. The same gospel that was preached on the day of Pentecost was the same gospel that Philip preached in Samaria and that Paul preached in Corinth and Ephesus and in Rome and has been preached throughout the world until we get even to 2019. It's the same gospel message I'm preaching to you today because it comes from an unchanging God. God makes the gospel personal for you and in doing that, then, I have a responsibility to perpetuate that. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And as you go, as you're making disciples, what you're going to do is you're going to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're going to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That instruction was given to me to go do. And that's my responsibility. And so as Christians, then we have, an, uh, we have a, a great opportunity. We have great blessings to come. But you know, we also have an obligation and a responsibility to go out and to preach the gospel to others. And that leads us into our last point that I want to talk about. When we see commands given to us, we have instruction to, to follow them out. Jesus wants Duffy to be a good citizen of the kingdom. Perhaps the best summary of what a citizen of the kingdom would look like and how a citizen of the kingdom would operate is found in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses, or Matthew 5 through 7. 
You remember Jesus starts off there with, a, with some blessings. Blessed are or thankful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I used to be able to quote these, and I've lost that. So we're going to go back and just read it for ourselves. And what I want you to note here is these are not, this isn't like going to the grocery store. Where you could you could just kind of pick out well I, I want to be the, I want I want some poor in spirit and I want some meekness and I'm going to leave the less Th- these are all things that Jesus expects the citizen of the kingdom to be a part of or to have in their life blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, I just messed up because I didn't read this right. Put your name in that spot. Let's begin verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for Duffy shall obtain mercy. Blessed is Duffy when he's pure in heart, for he shall see God. I love this verse 9 because this is one I wrestle with. Blessed is Duffy when he's a peacemaker. For he shall be called the Son of God. Jesus wants these to be a characteristic of each one of our lives. And you can go on through the the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and what you're going to see there is these characteristics that Jesus portrays for the citizen of the kingdom are the characteristics that Jesus wants me to have in my life. Verse 13, Duffy is the salt of the world. He says there... uh, you are the salt of the earth, Duffy. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? Duffy, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in us. Therefore, Duffy, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Put your name in that spot and see if that doesn't change the way you read that. Because we have a responsibility... Each one of us has a responsibility to be sight, to be salt, excuse me, and light in the world. And you can go on down through the rest of it where he talks about, you've heard it said of old, all through chapter 5. And then chapter 6, he talks about charitable deeds and he talks about prayer. And you get down to the end. And Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. Does that fit me? Could I, if I were to uh, to be put on trial today for whether I was a wise or foolish man, which would I be convicted of? That's how personal Jesus wants the Sermon on the Mount to be. He says, if Duffy will hear these sayings of mine and do them, I'll liken him to a wise man. I like that. I like it when God says that I'm wise and that you're wise because we hear and we do. We're not like the foolish man who hears and then forgets and goes and does his own thing because he doesn't believe in God, because he's not convicted, because he's not obedient. Now, in the time we got left, I just want to read through a, a couple passages, and I want you, I want you to, I'm going to use these as three examples of instances where you can put yourself into this passage. And I challenge you to do this this next week. As you are studying the Bible and you come across passages that have this generic, overarching, mankind perspective, try plugging yourself in and see what that teaches you, what comes from this. 
And we're going to begin in Romans chapter 12. Um, these are None of these are passages that you're not going to be familiar with. But hopefully these are passages that, that will help us to, to further understand what my personal relationship with God looks like and what and how God wants me to see myself in the Bible. So as I read this, you just plug your name in. I beseech you therefore, Duffy, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but Duffy, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what God wants from me? It's not much. Matter of fact, Paul says it's reasonable, but he wants everything. He wants my body. He wants me to serve him with my body, but he also wants me to serve him with my mind. And you think, well, that, that sounds kind of, that's like a, a no-brainer, right? If I'm going to serve him with my body, I'm going to serve him with my mind. That's not always the case. Any, anybody ever driven somewhere and not, not realized how you got there? Your mind gets to thinking about something, right? And you, and you get there, right? And you think, how did I even get here? How did I make all those decisions? Because your mind's somewhere else, right? It's amazing what your body can do. You, you know, science, research say you can't multitask. Well, that's, that's true in some instances, but it's not true in every situation. Because I can tell you, there's been times I've driven all the way to 1321 West Calhoun, hour and 20 minutes, and haven't thought about any of the decisions that, I, that you would typically make driving up there. You just do it, right? Because my mind's so preoccupied with something else. And so God wants our body, but he also wants our mind. He wants us to transform. The Greek word there, metamorphos, means just like you think it means. It's a, it's a um, caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out a butterfly. He wants us to transform our minds that we can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Plug yourself in that passage and see how you do. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is, a, this is a passage where Paul uses the I word here. But he's speaking about himself. And so I'll challenge myself to say, do I believe what Paul believes? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Okay, Paul, that sounds good. But what, what's your evidence of your belief? I am persuaded that he's able to keep that, what, that, keep what I have committed to him until that day. There's an evidence in Paul's life that he not only believes that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, but he also understands that Jesus is going to do what he promised to do. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep the things I've committed, namely my spiritual life, but what else? My treasures? You remember Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I always have to get that, I have to think slowly through that. And where thieves break in and steal. But you lay up your treasures in heaven. Do you trust Jesus with your treasure? Sometimes I think I don't. <laughs> I feel more comfortable. I'll keep my treasure down here. Do we trust Jesus with that mansion he went to build? Or do we need to build our mansion here? Jesus says, 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for Duffy. You ever put your name in that passage? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, if I do it, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, Duffy. Do you believe that? And I challenge myself with that. Am I persuaded that he is able to keep that I've committed to him against that day or until the judgment day? One last passage. We'll wrap up with this one. This is our scripture reading this morning. This is in Romans chapter 8. And uh, Romans is a, is a very interesting book. But this is this is one of the this is one of the the probably the mo- most well known and best loved passages that comes out of Romans because it speaks to the love of God. And I want you to read this with your eyes focused on yourself and here. For who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written? For your sake, I was I am killed all the day long. I'm counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, Duffy is more than a conqueror through him who loved him. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor spirit, principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. That passage was written for me. It was written for you. Because that's how personal God's love is. God loves you. He loves every one of you. He loves, he loves me. We're not just some speck on this great big ball that God looks over and looks past because He's got bigger things to care about. God has big things to care about. But God has scope to be able to care about the big things and also be able, be able to take care of the little things too. And He loves you. And He loves me. And we can find ourselves in the Bible. There's going to be things we're going to wrestle with that we may not be able to, we may not be able to turn to and say, you know, what's God's, what's God's take on Facebook? We find principles in there that will speak to us about Facebook. We'll find principles in there that will speak to us about the health concerns of life and the spiritual issues of life. There are principles in there for me if I'll read the Bible that way. Do we approach God's Word that way? I hope we do already. If you don't, I want to challenge you to do that this week. I want to challenge you to wherever you're reading in the Bible, take it to what does this mean to me? What's God saying to me today? What can I learn from it? What can I apply to my life? What can I teach somebody else about? Um... One of the things I learned in college, you probably learned this as well, and I know some people learn it because they are. We have teachers in here. One of the best ways that you can reinforce whether you know something is to teach it to somebody else. Explain it to them. Take them to that passage and say, "Here's what I learned. I read this passage. Here's what I learned from it. Maybe it'll help you out too." I want to encourage us in that this week. Uh, the Bible is God's living word to save all of mankind. But he wrote it for Duffy. And you can put your name in there too. Every one of them, he wrote it for you. And I hope we take it from that perspective. In particular, Jesus came to this earth and he died for you and he died for me.
And in doing that, he, he, he opened up a way in which we can be a part of the family of God in this life and we can live forever with him in the next life. Are you ready? Are you ready for the next life? That's the question I want to end on. Have you been to Jesus for the saving power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus said those words that we read earlier. He said, I want you to go and I want you to preach repentance and remission of sins. He said, I want you to preach belief and baptism. And you, and you bring all that together in the gospel message that was preached on the day of Pentecost. When those men heard, men and women, excuse me, when they heard that gospel message, the message of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, you remember what they said? They said, man and brother, what do we do? You know why they asked that question? Because Peter hadn't told them what to do yet. He told them what, that Jesus died on the cross and they were guilty and they stood there condemned and they want to know how we fix this situation. And Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus had told him to say, he said, you repent. Change your life. Turn away from that sin. That was individually a message to each one of those people that he preached that day. Every one of them was responsible for that. He said, I want to let each one of you know this. Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That means by his authority, because he had authorized it, before you ascend into heaven for the remission of sins so that your sins can be washed away and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to Duffy. He didn't say that. But he said, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Have you, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God? You're willing to turn away from your sin. If you are, we'll be happy to help you obey the gospel today. If you've already obeyed the gospel and you let sin come into your life, and it's corrupted you and it's discouraged you and it's pulled you away from God, you can come back. God has a message for you. He says, if you'll confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just to cleanse Duffy from his sins and forgive him to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. That message is to each one of us. If we can help you today to obey the gospel, I'm going to encourage you to do that. If we, as a, as a Christian, if we can help you be restored to the body of Christ, I want to help you with that. If you don't feel comfortable coming front, that's okay. Just catch me after, but don't leave here today with any questions in your mind. If you're convicted, if you know you're not a Christian, you want to become one, let's do that today. If you know you have obeyed the gospel, but you've been separated from the body of Christ, let's take care of that today. If we've had some, some great encouragement over the last couple of weeks, from those who have responded to the gospel, from those who have said, hey, I want to be a part of this family. If that's your case, make it known. We're going to sing a song of invitation. What number was that? 667. 667. We're going to sing number 667. And uh, if you have a need, please make it known by coming to the front as we stand and sing. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.